0: This is the Canadian Taxpayers Federation podcast. We're dedicated to lower taxes, less waste, more accountable government. I'm Chris Sims here in Alberta. Franco Terrazzano. you're there in Ottawa. And it seems like every single week, unfortunately, Franco, we're hearing about more and more misspending. And the numbers are so big. You can't really wrap your head around them. So this time, the Auditor General released the report on the COVID-19 subsidies. So that's taxpayers' money going out federally during COVID-19. And the feds shelled it out to people through CERB and also to businesses through what was called the wage subsidy by most people. Now, there were some really eye-popping waste and numbers in there. But Franco, let's start with the CERB portion. Okay, We'll do the business later. Start with the CERB. What really jumped out at you? Yeah. And, and CERB,
1: again, was was the subsidy to the people who were impacted because of the government restrictions that were closing businesses down. Right. That was like really the big one at the beginning to to, to individuals. But look, there's some crazy examples of who the government was giving money to. 391 dead people got the CERB. Hundreds of dead people caught the Serb. That costs one point <laughs> two million dollars. It's like a little spin on M. Night Shyamalan's *The Sixth Sense*. Remember the little I was just boy? Was say, like, I see, oh
0: yeah. I just see dead people.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, us Canadian taxpayers, we subsidize dead people. Apparently, uh, but let's keep moving, right? Because there was four. The government gave four four hundred people under the age of fifteen the Serb. That cost $2.2 million. Uh, oh, yeah. The government gave 1,500 people who were in jail, the Serb.
0: That How do they not know 20- they're in jail? Just stop one second. Like, this is the state who has incarcerated them, right? This yeah. is the oh, state handing out money. What's
1: what's the address? Kingston Penitentiary. Yep, sounds good. Send it out the door. Um, uh, <laughs> look, 700 people. The government gave 700 people who were not living in Canada, the <laughs> Serb. That cost $3.3 million. Oh, yeah. Um, 190,000 people who quit their job. So they didn't lose their job because of COVID. They quit their job. And the government gave them, sir, costing taxpayers $1.6 billion. So with all of this misspending, you know what this shows me? That clearly the government did not have proper guardrails in place to actually protect taxpayers from from all this type of misspending.
0: I. <laughs> Okay. I'm laughing folks. I promise. I'm only laughing because I will literally cry if I don't laugh. So I want to go back to what you said there off the top though. You said about dead people, taxpayers Uh funding dead people. How many dead people did they give Uh CERB to?
1: Yeah. So the feds gave the CERB to uh, 391 dead people, 1500 people in jail, 400 people under the age of 15, 700 people who, uh, yeah, didn't live in Canada. And uh, 190,000 people who quit their job and didn't lose it because of COVID.
0: Okay, that's uh, super frustrating and they should know better. And it's one of those things where you just shake your head because most of these people are connected to the government in some way. Like I said, they're either dead. So there's been registration of their passing. Sorry, Um, they're in penitentiary, so they know where they are. Um, but what what was really overwhelming, I think, and overwhelming is the word, is the overall misspending here. Uh, what kind of numbers are we looking at here?
1: Okay, so $4.6 billion in overpavements, that was made to people who the government actually now knows were, inel- were ineligible for COVID-19 subsidies. Okay, so $4.6 billion that the government knows now knows we're ineligible um however there's at least another 27.4 billion dollars that the auditor general identified as suspicious payments so chris
0: we're looking so
1: we're looking at a total of 32 billion dollars on covid19 subsidies that the federal government gave to either ineligible people or in suspicious payments 32 billion dollars at least
0: okay um (laughs) that we will get upset in times past over a $1 billion boondoggle. Remember those Mm -hmm. days? Like now we're in the thirties of billions, but just because we should, let me play devil's advocate. So the government needed to get the money out the door super fast. Remember like it was, you know, raining down on us. Everybody was scared. Speed was needed more than thoroughness and carefulness, right? To keep Canadians and our economy afloat. Because it was it was being aimed at us really hard and fast. Right. Didn't they need to do something? Okay, so
1: I think people might give the government the benefit of the doubt in like the early days. Uh, Week one, month one, month two, uh, maybe even month
0: three. Yeah, like April to June 2020. Like that's what I mean for sure.
1: Sure. Um, But some of the spending detailed in the Auditor General's report is May 2022 more than two years after the beginning of the pandemic, the wage subsidy for businesses, which we're gonna get into a second, it was the most expensive COVID-19 program, okay? This was the most expensive one. Well, that lasted until October, 2021, according to the Auditor General report, okay? So that's more than a year uh, after the beginning of the pandemic. Also, Chris, we so we're not talking about like, oh, month one, and we're also not talking about just a drop in the bucket, you know, just a little bit of money, right? We're talking about $32 billion in suspicious or ineligible payments, according to the Auditor General. That's a ton of money. And now, Chris, I can hear you saying, well, what could we get for $32 billion? <laughs> I was billion just about dollars? to ask you. I was like
0: about to interrupt and say, yeah. what could we be done with otherwise? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So 30 hospitals across 30? Canada. Thirty hospitals can be could be built across Canada for thirty two billion dollars. I mean, this actually might be my favorite one. Uh, you could all, or you could cover all of Saskatchewan's federal tax bills for three years. Um, well, here's another good one, Chris. I mean, you're in Alberta now. Yeah. Well, thirty two billion dollars. Uh, that's more than Alberta's annual healthcare budget. So we're not talking about a drop in the bucket and we're not talking about just a little bit of spending in the first few weeks that went out of the door a little too fast. We're talking about a whole ton of money that was spent um, essentially for for about two years since the beginning of the pandemic.
0: That is just a shocking amount of money. And I really need to you know, stress that folks picture in your mind. 30 brand new hospitals being mm-hmm. built. Picture the bottom line budget for healthcare for the entire province of Alberta. Gone. Like, we really need to focus on this. And I promise you, because I've been in the game, they're going to trot out something weird and shiny and strange and distracting, like real soon. They probably already have, arguably, in Ottawa. Don't let them off the hook. Focus on this money. This is serious money and they should be held accountable for it. And I hate to rain on the already rainy parade, but you mentioned the wage subsidy too. Yeah. And now that went out to businesses, if I'm not mistaken. Was there some waste there too? Or was this mostly served? What happened at the, the business no, level? for oh.
1: a ton. Yeah, a, a lot. So the auditor general identified $15 billion okay, in potential misspending to businesses. So what happened is that there was essentially a a revenue um, requirement. You needed to see a certain dip in revenue, right? Well, the auditor general says, about $15 billion of the uh, COVID-19 subsidies to businesses were questionable whether or not those businesses actually met that revenue reduction requirement. And the auditor general was able to come to that number looking at sales tax filing data. Okay. So, so the auditor general is raising questions about $15 billion uh, worth of these subsidies to businesses. Uh, But also remember, even before the auditor general, there was a lot of suspicious reports. We remember hearing reports of some businesses who were taking the money and then fattening their C-suites, right? Increasing the compensation to executives. Now look, if it's your own business with your own money, Do whatever you want with your executive pay, right? Uh, Who am I to to (laughs) say uh, what your executives deserve with your own money? Give them a diamond
0: encrusted sink. I don't bloody care. (laughs) Sounds like a nice sink. (laughs) Sounds
1: like a nice sink. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. But look, once you take taxpayers' money, especially during a pandemic, there is no way you should be using that money to fatten your your C-suite. No way at all. Okay. Next... This is the one that really infuriates me the most is that political parties were shoving their snouts further into the taxpayer trough and they helped themselves to the wage subsidy. Remember, this was a wage subsidy that was given to businesses so that to help them try to keep um, as many employees on payroll as possible, right? During the height of the pandemic. But political parties helped themselves to about $3.7 million through this wage subsidy. Uh, In fact, the block was the only party in the federal house of commons that did not take the wage subsidy. So kudos there. I mean, Chris, at the end of the day, look, number one, political parties already get special taxpayer treatment with like tax credits uh, federally. You got the reimbursements uh, during elections or, or for the election expenses as well. Um, but look, many people were worried about their livelihoods. Many people were worried that the restaurant down the street was not going to survive. Mm-hmm. I don't know too many people who lost sleep at night, worried that there weren't enough political attack ads.
0: No, no kidding. And great point, Franco. I actually forgot about that. That's crazy that the political parties took that money. And to be clear, folks, there's already money set aside for the the staffers, as we call them, that work on Parliament Hill. Okay, They work on Parliament Hill with the members of Parliament. That's not who we're talking about here. Political parties, the entities themselves, have employees. They have headquarters, right? I can tell you right now, The vast majority of that work is done in an office on a laptop. You can do that. Most of that work from almost anywhere. This is not the same thing as a restaurant that has to be forced to be shut down based to government regulation. This is not a hairdresser who is about to lose her shirt because she hasn't had anybody in the chair now for weeks and she can't she can't afford to pay her bills. There's no way that politicians and political parties should have taken a nickel of that money and they should be paying it back. Now, I'm going to have to take a long walk here because this is super frustrating What's the fix here? Like, can the government recoup any of this misspent money? Are they going to waste more of it trying to track it back down? Like, by who knows how? What's the fix here?
1: Well, first, let's recognize that this is the government's fault. Okay? The government sprayed a whole bunch of money out the door without proper guardrails. And not to mention, this wasn't just during week one, right? The government should have prioritized protections for taxpayers but no the government messed up it didn't have the proper guardrails and now we have this huge mess and this huge amount of misspending that taxpayers are on the hook for so it's not fair to ask the taxpayers who took it on the chin whether it was the person who lost their job or was the restaurant who barely made it through to pay higher taxes because the government gave a whole bunch of money to people or businesses that shouldn't have got the money so so that money does need to be recouped but let's make a distinction here because I'm sure there were many people and I'm sure there are many businesses who acted in good faith, mm-hmm. right? But the government, uh, it was either, it was a complicated process or, uh, there weren't proper checks or whatever, but I bet there were people who acted in good faith that the government gave the money to, even though they were ineligible with the, mm-hmm. with the people who acted in good faith, the CRA needs to be as accommodating as possible. And just remember that like right now is, is very tough times for, for so many people. However, The people or businesses that game the system, oh, the CRA needs to get the money back from them. Absolutely. But hold on, Chris. What's worse about all of this is that the government's not even learning from its mistakes, okay? Because it's intent on using this good faith attestation process uh, with its new dental and housing subsidies that it's rolling out the door.
0: Oh, see, this is the thing. They're just going to do the same thing. Over and over again. And this is where we get back to accountability, folks. It's the same thing with the CTF. We always say we focus on three main things. Lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. And we end on accountable government because it's the solution to this stuff. No matter what party's in, if they're screwing up this badly, and this is bad, man. $30 billion is really bad. Wasting the amount of money that could build us 30 brand new hospitals or cover the bottom line for a healthcare system in an entire province, really bad. So it's on us right now to hold these folks accountable. So check out the website, go to the Parliament Hill website, look up your member of parliament, write them an email, make a phone call, have the subject say something like auditor general report, waste, something like that, and tell them this is your money and they need to clean up their act and you're not going to stand for it anymore. And folks, if you want help on how to write a letter, and how to be, you know, effectively angry, but still get your message across, go to our website, taxpayer.com. Uh, you can find all sorts of letter writing skills there. You can also go to our, our shop. You can, we have t-shirts that says scrap the carbon tax, right? So you can, so you can wear your colors and really push back. We do have a voice here. Um, Franco, thank you so much for letting people know uh, the ugliness of this auditor general report. Now, you get to do uh, lots of fun and or wonky stuff in Ottawa, Franco. You guys put together our New Year's tax changes uh, for the new year. And that's basically where we let everybody know, hey, this is what you're going to be paying more or less of. Now, I don't know about you, but I need a break. <laughs> I think a lot of people are done after this year. We're glad to see the back end of this thing. Um, so do you have any good news? Do we maybe have a tax break in the new year? Pretty please, Santa? Santa?
1: Not from Ottawa. Uh, (laughs) Sure not. We're actually seeing uh, Trudeau hike five different federal taxes in 2023. CPP tax (laughs) up, EI tax up, carbon tax up, second carbon tax up, and liquor taxes all going up.
0: Okay, so I- I (laughs) <laughs> oh, it's awful. So I, I try to keep the happy in my happy warrior. Like it's sometimes a struggle. And the last few months, especially, have been quite the struggle uh, because of inflation and mm-hmm. everybody seemingly paying more every time they turn around. Um, Just a personal anecdote. I don't know if you've noticed this, but when I'm out doing my big grocery shop, because I'm a mom and a wife and all that stuff, and I do the big grocery shop on Saturdays, I see more people putting more stuff back when they're approaching the, the checkout. And that's tough to see. Um, and it's even stuff like ground beef, like the basics, they're struggling to afford this. And this is where this really ticks me off with this federal government is because they seem to be missing that connection. Now um, they're not reaching their constituents because lots of folks are struggling right now. So you're telling me they're ignoring all those metrics, all those real world things and they're hiking. They've got five tax hikes for us.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what that what we're saying. Five, five different federal tax hikes coming from Ottawa in 2023. Now, to be as fair as possible, the, the federal government is increasing the basic personal amount, which is a tax-free portion of all of our income. So the government is right. doing that, but there's two issues. First, although it's increasing, it's not increasing as fast as inflation is going, which means that our inflation adjusted income tax bill is is still going up. But number two, and kind of more to the point, is that even though our tax-free portion of the income is going up, it's not going up as high as the payroll tax hikes are going. So at the end of the day, if you're making $40,000 or more next year, your federal income-based taxes are going up because of payroll tax hikes.
0: Okay. So You're calling them payroll taxes. We call them payroll taxes. They are bloody payroll taxes. But a lot of folks who aren't in this game don't quite understand what we mean by a payroll tax. So can you break that down for us a little bit? What are they and how much are they increasing?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's essentially just the mandatory payments that you are forced to make, that your employer is forced to make to the government through the Canada Pension Plan payments or EI. Uh, payments. So these are both taxes, and that's what we mean by payroll taxes. So this year, if you're making uh $67,000 or more, so very middle class, certainly not the fat cats here, but if you're making $67,000 or more, then you're going to have to pay $255 extra compared to 2022. Through the CPP tax, right? Your employer will also have to pay an extra two hundred and fifty-five dollars in twenty twenty-three compared to twenty twenty-two. So, if you're that same middle-class worker, you're also going to have to fork over an extra fifty dollars in twenty twenty-three through the EI mandatory payments compared to twenty twenty-two, and your employer will have to have to fork over an extra seventy dollars compared to twenty twenty-two. Now, at first glance, that might not sound like a lot but that's just the increase. Okay, your total payroll tax bill, if you're making 67K or more next year, is about $4,700. Your employer will also have to pay more than $5,100. So we're talking about thousands and thousands of dollars that must be paid to the government through these payroll taxes.
0: Yeah. And these are serious deductions, folks. So, you know, back in my day when I used to get paid with a paper check, you used to be able to see immediately where your deductions were. And I think sometimes some of us lose track of that now that everything seems to be electronic. But thank you, Franco, because you're actually putting the dollar figure on that. Um, Speaking of dollar figures, man, like I. it's hard for me to complain here because I'm in Alberta and I pay the lowest gasoline taxes in Canada. Um, It's still a high price at the pump because we have high federal taxes as well, but people are really struggling to fuel up their vehicles. So it doesn't matter if you're driving like, you know, a mom minivan or a dad pickup truck or whatnot. um, People are struggling to fill up with gasoline and diesel. And (sighs) I hate bringing this up, but it's a fact and it's a big cost. Carbon taxes are going up next year as well. And it isn't just on driving. It's on home heating too.
1: Yeah, that's right. And we've already seen the carbon tax, Trudeau's carbon tax, go up three times since the beginning of COVID-19. They're going up again to 14 cents per liter of gasoline to 12 cents per cubic meter of natural gas starting April 1, 2023. Now, we sometimes we turn on the TV, we hear on the radio that the Trudeau government's claims that like somehow the carbon tax and rebate scheme is going to make you better off. Well, the government's own independent nonpartisan budget watchdog shows that the government is using magic math. According to that parliamentary budget officer uh the carbon tax is costing the average household anywhere between 400 bucks all the way up to about 850 bucks next year even after those rebates even after those rebates and simmer uh yeah. not to be the rain cloud the <laughs> perpetual rain cloud that I am these days but the government is also going to be bringing in a second carbon tax through fuel regulations next year which will add up to 13 cents per liter extra to the price of gasoline by 2030.
0: Yeah, it's it's gross Um, for folks who are listening in British Columbia. <laughs> surprise. You've already been paying a second carbon tax for the past several years, and that is why you have the highest fuel prices in the entire continent, because you've got the highest fuel taxes there, too. So unfortunately, they're they're taking that show on the road. That's going to be, you know, the standard across Canada pretty soon, except for a couple of places. So. Franco, it isn't just driving, as we mentioned off the top here, this little bit here on the carbon tax. Canadians, I don't know what it is where you are. I think it's minus 22 outside right now. If I weren't running my natural gas furnace, my pipes would burst. Uh, But for that luxury of staying alive and warm, uh, (laughs) we're punished with the carbon tax. So you're punished for using natural gas, Mm -hmm. propane, or Mm -hmm. furnace oil to heat your home. Uh, It's one of those things that just drives me crazy because this is not something you can opt out of in Canada. It's not a nice to have. Do you want a paper or plastic bag? No, you can't do that. Uh, We put out a call a little while ago uh, to supporters and, and radio listeners saying, hey, send us your heat bill because you can read all the data and stats and whatnot you want on the internet. Show me your actual heating bill, and we were able to work out how much people were paying in the carbon tax. Dude, it's between like thirty bucks a month and sometimes a hundred bucks a month, depending on what kind of house you are and where you are in Canada. So that's a huge amount of money just being punished for staying warm in the winter. So, the folks, you know you have every right to be ticked off. Now, I try to say this jokingly, but if you're so ticked off <laughs> that you're reaching for you know your glass of scotch, uh, Franco. Prices are going up, taxes are going up on booze too, right?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. So this whole conversation (laughs) drives you to drink. Well, too bad the government is taking more from your wallet there. Like, I don't know, man, maybe you had a tough day at work. Maybe old man McKay is really grinding your gears (laughs) saying, hey, no more passive voice in all your op-eds. I don't know. Maybe you got the Rugrats running around. Hey, maybe even your in-laws are coming on the weekend and you need just a little bit of holiday spirit to get through that encounter. Well, when you go pick up that bottle of Pinot, when you go get that uh, case of Keith's, when you go pick up that bottle of rum, The government is going to be taking more money from you in 2023 there again. And it's because of what we call this alcohol escalator tax. Sounds nice enough, doesn't it? But in fact, (laughs) it's not. It's a very undemocratic form of taxation. So the Trudeau government, uh, one of the few budgets... Prior, I believe it was uh, in the 2017 budget, brought in this escalator tax, which essentially says every year the federal alcohol excise taxes go up with inflation. Now, (laughs) if these politicians think that you're not paying enough tax, they should have the spine to vote on tax increases. Instead, they use this escalator to increase their tax take without having to vote on it in the House of Commons. Now, one of the key things here is that it goes up with inflation. Well, what's going on with inflation right now? It's sky high, which means that next April, when this alcohol escalator tax cranks up again, we're all going to see a federal tax hike on our alcohol of about 6.3%. That's a huge increase. And remember, you're already paying about half of that beer in taxes. About two-thirds of that glass of Pinot in taxes. And that bottle of scotch you mentioned there, Simmer, well, about three-quarters of spirits is taxes.
0: I, when I first joined the CTF, and I've always loved the Canadian Tax Federation, I used to book them all the time when I was working in radio. I didn't know that. And I think more people need to know that half the cost of your beer, 70% of your wine. Don't care if it's in a box or in a bottle or whatnot. And 75%, you know, of your rum that you're pouring into your eggnog to go full Clark Griswold uh, because of all these taxes. um, That's taxes already. And this is, and the other thing I forgot, I knew we had an escalator tax. Mm -hmm. You were telling me about this earlier. I forgot it was attached to inflation. And what is horrible right now inflation so sorry folks that's a lot of bad news we do have a little bit of glimmer of hope and good news mm-hmm. and it's coming from the provinces so so let's try to you know pick up some spirits here no pun intended um what's happening in the provinces are we getting some cuts there
1: well we're talking about the bad news of these inflationary inflation tied tax hikes but there's some good news on the uh inflation tied taxes alberta Your neck of the woods, my mom's neck of the woods is actually ending bracket creep. Now, what's bracket creep? It's a very sneaky form of income tax hike um, that essentially uses inflation to increase politicians tax take. So what's supposed to happen is that tax brackets are supposed to move up with inflation. But bracket creep stops that process, which means that you can be bumped into paying a higher tax bracket, even though what you can actually afford to buy hasn't gone up. And over time, inflation will also erode that tax-free portion of everyone's uh, income. So Alberta is scrapping its bracket creep tax hike. I think that'll save uh, what is what's the figure simmer over there? How much is it going to save
0: around 300 bucks a year for per person is what the the outgoing premier Jason Kenney said. And that is what has been repeated now by new premier Daniel Smith's government as well. So around 300 bucks. So that's a very big grocery shop. And uh, there's some more tax
1: relief in Alberta, isn't there? Simmer. Yes,
0: and it's my favorite <laughs> <laughs> we're 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 suspending the uh, fuel tax on gasoline and diesel, so that's nothing to sneeze at either no and and Ontario Premier Doug Ford he's
1: extending his gas tax relief. But you know where there's at? there's also some really big uh, tax relief coming is in New Brunswick. So let me just look at my notes here so I don't uh, confuse myself, but you essentially have a few things going on in New Brunswick. Uh, the province increased the basic personal amount, the tax-free portion of our income. Then you have uh, the top four tax brackets all being reduced, with the fourth bracket being consolidated into the third bracket. Um, now, all of that's very wonky, but essentially, that means that a New Brunswick tax taxpayer could be saving up to 1300 bucks per year because of uh, this income tax relief. So good tax relief over there in New Brunswick.
0: Yeah, it's good to see that. Uh, and we have to give credit where it's due because we spend a lot of time uh, railing on politicians for not listening. So when they do actually listen, we have to give them kudos. So good job, New Brunswick. Uh, good job, Ontario. And good job here in Alberta. Because now the suspension of it's not just gasoline, it's diesel. That means that the only taxes we pay at the pump now are federal. So it's, it's, it's a pretty good move. And it's real money. Uh, if you fill up a pickup truck and you're saving 13 cents a liter, you're saving about 15 bucks per fill up. So you can get, I mean, I can get a, a jug of milk and a roast chicken for that every time I go grocery shopping. So that's real money back in, in people's pockets. So good to see that. Happy to end on a good note with that. But man, wouldn't it be nice if some of this, you know, listening skills actually translated over to Ottawa? Uh,
1: Sure would. Uh, (laughs) But you know what? I'm looking outside the window here and I do not see my bacon flying out of the fridge. So uh, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if that's going to happen. But look, all kidding aside, the federal government is raising taxes, but it doesn't have to be right. It doesn't have to be. I mean, While Ottawa is raising all of our tax bills, we did identify 51 other national governments during the pandemic to ease the pain of inflation, do the right thing and cut taxes. Uh, It includes more than half of G7 countries, more than half of G20 countries, two thirds of the countries within the OECD. So many of our industrialized peers are doing the right thing. And look, at the end of the day, The reason that we're paying too much tax is because Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his band of bureaucrats are wasting too much money, right? Uh, Look, Ms. Freeland just gave her a mid-year budget update as the finance minister. And it shows that in, in just seven months after she presented her big spending April budget, she was already on track to spend $20 billion over budget 20 billion dollars that's a two and a whole lot of zeros but here's what it means it means that Ms. freeland could have cut the the gst from five to three percent and still have room to lower the deficit just by keeping spending in line with what she said she was going to spend in her april budget so folks uh they're making life harder with their tax hikes and it's because they're wasting money here there and everywhere
0: I, I'm glad you put it that way because 20 billion. I mean, you start getting into like Carl Sagan counting galaxies yeah, there. Yeah, it's hard yeah. to carry the three, track, right? But you're saying that on that amount of waste, they could have reduced the GST down to 3%
1: and still have room to lower the deficit
0: holy smokes okay like folks like keep this in mind like think of how much people freaked out over a glass of orange juice right think about how much you know people justifiably freaked out over the billion dollar boondoggle over the long gun registry that was one billion this is 20 billion over her own budget which was already blowing way too much money so folks um They really need to get a message here. They've got the fiscal discipline of a frat house in Ottawa. It is just not good to see. So to give you some agency and some hope, though, you can speak up and you can push back. And so do yourself a favor. Give yourself a Christmas present this year. Pick up the phone. Open up your email. Send a note. Right, Franco? Send a note to your member of parliament because for every one note they get, they figure that what they get a hundred more people feeling the same way that haven't said so, and when we do speak up and push back, they start listening. We hope so. Franco, thank you very much for the good news and uh, also the bad news because when we know the bad news, we can fix it. Thanks, man.
1: With my colleague and my friend Jay Goldberg, he is our Ontario director, and we're going to be talking about links today. And for you who are wondering just what MetroLinks is. Well, it's basically the government of Ontario's transit contractor, okay? So the provincial government puts in uh, it puts it in charge of all of its major transit construction projects. Now Jay, you were telling me offline that there's some huge cost overruns that Metrolinks is dealing with here that actually would cost eight brand new hospitals.
2: Yeah, so Metrolinks uh, basically the record here in Ontario has been a complete disaster. Uh, The the newest story, of course, is that the Doug Ford government is building the Ontario line, which is going to be right through the heart of Toronto, a brand new subway line. The original cost was pegged at just under $12 billion. It's now hit $20 billion, and they are still years and years behind schedule. So it's a complete disaster, both in terms of timing and in terms of money. And as you just said, that's an $8 billion gap. You could be building all kinds of hospitals with that. You could be hiring tens of thousands of nurses for years. It's a, it's a massive price gap. And Metrolinks, just in general, has a terrible record of cost overruns. I know that many in BC can relate, but certainly here, we've seen Metrolinks as a complete disaster and uh, $8 billion, that's a heck of a lot of money. That could cut the uh, HSD here by three points. That's a lot of money. And so, well, you know, we're talking about Metrolinks and, and it's time for a change. Ah, cutting the HST by three points.
1: That's music to my ears, especially as a person who is from Alberta, where there was no provincial sales tax moving to Ontario. And now I'm getting dinged huge every time I go to the till. So I love that uh, HST cut. That's music to my ears. And of course, everyone, when we're saying eight billion dollar cost overrun, right? Eight new hospitals is what that could build. That's not an eensy teensy little cost overrun. That is huge. And like, look, if we're talking about like a private sector contractor here working with some business fired, what I don't know, Jay, how many seconds do you think before they get fired?
2: One or two, Uh, it would be pretty (laughs) darn quick. Um, And wait till you hear what they're blaming Franco for this disaster for the over budget. They're blaming inflation that's Ooh. right, uh, inflation. Now uh, you know, it's been hitting our wallets hard. It's true. Yes. I do go grocery shopping. Prices are up. absolutely. but Franco, you've been in Ontario for a while now. Uh, I don't think we've seen 75% inflation in Ontario. It's been pretty darn high, but I don't think we've seen 75%. And so if that's what they're blaming, uh, I don't know where they are. Maybe they're in Venezuela or something making these calculations, but we sure as heck don't have 75% inflation here. So to just blame the whole fiasco on inflation, that's just insulting to Ontarians. And of course, the other thing is, if you all of a sudden have a project that's almost you know, 100% over budget, it's $8 billion all of a sudden, more than it was supposed to be, there's still years until this project is finished. You could see more cost overruns. You know, if a private business is trying to pursue a project and the project all of a sudden goes up in cost by some 75%, I think that private business would sit down and have a conversation about at the table about how to scale back costs. But this is what Metrolinx doesn't do. Uh, It's because they're a government contractor. This seems to be the way government works. Things go way over budget, and they don't try to find a way to bring it back. They don't try to find a way to lower costs so that we're not seeing these massive overruns there's been no attempt to do that and you know if you were doing a home reno and all of a sudden you had somebody uh who you hired to do the contracting job come to you halfway through the job and say yeah the price tag is going up by 75 percent," i'm pretty sure you're going to fire their butts and find somebody else to do the job and yeah. you know that's clear that's clearly what has to be going going on right now in the head of doug ford he's got to be thinking about it and he should it, we need clear change in Ontario. Okay, let me just let me just jump in here because uh, I gotta say
1: something. You seem fired up, Jay. You seem fired up, man. I can almost I can hear it in your voice. I'm sure our listeners can hear it in our voice. And like, okay, as you should be. I mean, an eight billion dollar cost overrun, give or take, that's huge. But the, but just how fired up you are, I'm kind of sensing that this isn't the first time that they've
2: uh, really increase the cost on taxpayers back is it oh it sure isn't i mean this is the biggest dollar figure but look they were building the eglinton crosstown this is a smaller lrt it's over five years behind schedule 400 million dollars over budget uh and then the poor towns of burlington and oakville these are suburbs of toronto they're not crazy rich they don't have all kinds of money they agreed to build a railway bypass between the two cities it was supposed to cost $60 million, okay? And these are two relatively small cities. They're relying on the property taxes of hardworking people in both cities. To pay for this, it was supposed to cost $60 million. It came in at $177 million, breaking the budgets of those two cities. So they have a terrible track record, Metrolinx. It's not just with the Ontario line. It's with the Eglinton Crosstown. It's how they screwed over Burlington and Oakville. And this is just three examples of a whole laundry list. And so that's why it's really time for Premier Ford to fire these guys as Ontario's transit contractor. Yeah. And uh, you know what the
1: cherry on top is for taxpayers as the cherry is, this is the cherry that's always on top for taxpayers is that Metrolinx's CEO, Paid, what, 500K, half a million a year. Every year he's been CEO, including uh, every year these projects have gone, what, hundreds of millions of dollars over budget. Uh, Talk about out of touch. Talk about uh, being rewarded for essentially failing at your job or at least being paid handsomely. For not doing a very good job when it comes to managing our money but of course like look i think you're making the case that Metrolinx is an absolute disaster here uh but what about some other government transit
2: contractors are there any others that are doing a better job uh well the short answer is no mm. uh we've seen all across the country major disasters i'm sure a lot of people heard about ottawa's lrt that came over a billion dollars over budget there were scandals involving that, that in part helped lead to Mayor Watson not seeking re-election because of the ridiculous costs and the poor job politicians did in Ottawa overseeing those projects. And then I know our buddy Carson in BC is probably trying to say to me right now, you know, hold my beer. We've had huge disasters from TransLink. Not only in Vancouver do you have to pay extra money every time you fill up your tank at the gas pump to give money to MetroLink to help run Uh, the city's uh, transit, but you also have two new lines that are being built right now. Right now, they're about a billion dollars more than they were supposed to be if you combine the two cost overruns. So we see in Ottawa, we see in Vancouver, we've seen in Toronto, we've seen in Burlington, Oakville, just disaster after disaster. And you really have to ask yourselves, you know, when are we going to stop relying on government contractors to deliver these projects when they go crazy over budget and they're just hammering taxpayers. You know jay I, I think i
1: heard you say metro uh when talking about vancouver of course you met Translink there so TransLink. i just wanted i just wanted to clarify there but, but but i mean look the ctf has a long history of not exactly being best friends with uh Translink out there in vancouver That's isn't for that sure. right you know jay when i when i asked you hey is there uh, any other contractors that are doing any better in, in 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 canada you know immediately when i said that i i almost wanted to eat my own words because I used to be the Alberta director, and I can, I am not looking forward to hearing what the final tab is for the Green Line LRT, if, if that ever even gets finished. So, yeah, folks, I mean, look, this is a staggering tab, you know, about $9 billion in just cost overruns. The cost of building, what, eight or so hospitals, depending on the price there. But look- the bottom line for all of this is that taxpayers are kind of getting screwed here, right? And and governments and their contractors, it doesn't appear like they're being really honest about the full cost or at least being completely upfront with taxpayers before they actually start the project. I mean, we've seen this happen, what, in Toronto, in Ottawa, in Vancouver, uh, in my former neck of the woods, in Calgary. I mean, pick a city, we've seen these exact same issues, right? So- Look, if if these contractors like Metrolinx or like TransLink out there in Vancouver consistently fail to offer proper value (laughs) and and, and diligence for taxpayers and and keep the projects on budget, then they should be fired and they should be replaced with someone who can actually get the job done. Well, Jay, I love the enthusiasm. I love how fired up you are. I love the fight that you have for us in Ontario. Thanks, Jay. And uh, keep up the great work out there. You bet. Thanks, Franco.